Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, we're going to be talking about all the entries in the Toy Story franchise, culminating with the newest entry, Toy Story 4. The latest uh, Child's Play movie, the reboot, starring Aubrey Plaza and Mark Hamill, Child's Play. And then uh, the latest from Luke Basson, Anna. Let's get started. We have to find him, Mom. Bonnie needs Forky. Aw, Sheriff Woody always coming to the rescue. That's gonna be quite a jump for you and Duke. For me? Let's kaboom. Go! That's where Forky is being kept. How do we get that key? What about the old plush rush? There you go. Oh, where did you two come from? Well, we're not doing that. So I rewatched all of the uh, Toy Story movies in the lead up to four, just to kind of get a kind of catch myself up with the franchise. And I have to say, that first movie has the weakest animation just because it's so rudimentary. It's the only thing that's really dated about it, though, because the storyline is still still holds up. Um, you know, it's still got this great, you know, for the most like for the most part, um, the storyline is actually really interesting. You've got things like you know, you see Woody at his worst as a entitled kind of a douchebag and then he kind of realizes that he needs to get over himself and um you know start caring about you know the kid more than himself and uh not to mention the fact that you're dealing like everyone's talking about Forky dealing with existentialism in the new one that what was in the beginning that was in the first movie where Buzz realizes he's a toy not he's not an he's not who he thinks it is at all and then when he does he finally like breaks down and like gets like drunk depressed sort of thing he has a, me- a full-on mental breakdown and he, no one really remembers that when they're talking about forky for some reason but um yeah like it's it's really interesting like it really captures the whole uh kids playing with their toys and and really active imagination and then um yeah, then the part with Sid just turned into a fra- uh, straight-on uh, Cronenberg body horror movie. <laughs> like, if those were human bodies, and, uh, it would, this would have been just wildly uh, d- disturbing. And I'm sure kids watching it back in the day were like, oh my god, that's terrifying. Because, yeah, Sid is, it, it is really messed up. And we don't really get a, too much of a glimpse into his family life. So it's hard to say if this is just him acting out. Like, we don't know what the deal with Sid is. We're not really... He doesn't get a whole lot of development because this isn't about him. This is about Woody and Buzz. And, yeah, like, ultimately, uh, this is a really great movie. Like, Pixar came right out the gate swinging with one of their best. And then they followed it up with, honestly, my least favorite in the entire franchise. Uh, Toy Story 2 has better animation... And the problem doesn't like the like the problems with the newest characters are, are uh, there aren't any like there aren't any real problems with like the whole addition of Woody's Roundup, which is like a um uh why can't I remember um ah uh, God why can't I remember the he was the 
uh, he was the puppet from the 50s. Um, Howdy Doody. It's basically like Woody revealed to be essentially the Howdy Doody of this universe. And he had a whole gang and it was this whole thing in the 50s. And it, it dealing with Woody considering like, uh, like this is the first time it really tackles Andy growing up. And kids growing up and forgetting their toys. And, like, Jesse's backstory is absolutely heartbreaking to watch. And so it's it's Woody kind of not wanting to give up the this sort of this sort of new backstory he had, he had no idea about. And not wanting to give up on these new friends he's made. But realizing that his ultimate, his ultimately what he wants is to be played with and to be a toy not on display but in the hands of a child and i think my problems come in with the other character with the subplot with what what his friends rescuing him because there's just these out of nowhere just pop culture references one after the other then buzz continually recalling the events of the last movie well what do you did this thing in the last movie and it's like okay come on you know there's random references to star wars and and Jurassic Park for no reason. It's just like, it feels like a DreamWorks style movie when it do goes into that route. But yeah, it's, it definitely, it definitely doesn't hold up as well. And it, and it's that, and it's that subplot that ultimately brings the movie down for me. But the parts with Woody and the Roundup Gang, all of that is fantastic. It's just everything. It's just that subplot that takes up the other, like, third of the movie that doesn't really hold up but uh you know that's just me uh for toy story 3 like we thought this was the end we we were set on this being the culmination of the story because andy has fully grown up uh and now the toys are trying to deal with what they do should they stay in the um Woody's telling them, you know, stay in the attic, you know, Andy will bring you down when there's new kids to play with, but the toys want to be played with now, and so when they find out about this daycare thing, uh, where they're going to be played with in perpetuity, then, they, then they're fine with it. So they're, they're better with that than with being holed up in the attic, which is, <clears throat> no matter how much Woody tries to sell them on it, sounds awful. Um, also, there's this great bit because it, it, we Pixar had so much time to develop their craft, we finally get to see what Andy's imagination looks like. <laughs> uh, it's and it's super cool and fun and it's sweet. Um, I will say that uh, lots of lots of Huggins. I think uh, the the bear played by Ned Beatty. He's my least favorite antagonist in that I just feel like. He's just a lesser version of the Prospector. Like, the Prospector was dead set on living this new life. And then Lotso Huggins, it, you know, has the whole thing of, like, the twist of we find out he's really the bad guy. And it's just, I just don't think he was really well utilized. I think the problem is also that his entire crew was very underdeveloped. Like, you get the likes of uh, Whoopi Goldberg and... Oh, God, who are the other ones? Let me pull up the cast list for Toy Story 3, because there's a whole bunch of celebrities. That's the other thing, too, is that they'll get celebrities just to be in, like, bit part roles. But, yeah, Whoopi Goldberg is one of his henchmen. And then, um... Slinky Dog, Chatter... 
full cast. Da -da -da, buttercup. Okay, it looks like only um, Richard Kind is in there in a in a bit part role. Uh, so it looks like the only henchman besides Ken and uh, Stretch. So yeah, yeah, but the only one besides Ken to have a um, celebrity play them is uh, is the octopus played by a very wasted Whoopi Goldberg, sadly. And I feel I feel like that's the other issue is that Ken is the only other um, uh, henchman for Lotso to get that get the get any sort of development, and then of course they treat him like they, like oh the joke is that he's a girl's toy so when they see him in heels it's like oh god that's Ken and then when he has nice hand writing they think it's Barbie and it's like oh okay come on that does that kind of feels very that that feels vaguely homophobic like it feels like it's it's re it, it could be really close to to scratching into the homo you know going too far into homophobia and it's, if nothing else it's definitely like oh he's not like a real 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 man toy he's not like a masculine toy he's a feminine toy and it's just like it's it's really those parts are the are the are the least good about it, but um, they're 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 like minor instances that ultimately don't um take up too much screen time, thankfully, and uh, yeah, I mean it, the the prison break scene, the whole that whole subplot is fun. The introduction of Bonnie as the new owner for Andy's toys, that's I think that's great, um. The, the whole fake out tragic ending like like we thought where you like the toys fully and this isn't spoilers too much for since it's been out for longer than this podcast has been around i think everybody's kind of known about it for now but yeah the whole bit where they're they're prepared for their own demise and they're prepared for their own death and then like they are saved at the last second like everyone that like tore everyone apart when it first happened like why would you do that to us oh and then it finally ends with um with bonnie getting andy's toys and then she knows woody because she had woody for uh at outside of daycare and then Andy is hesitant to give up Woody because it turns out after all this time that Woody was his favorite toy and he doesn't want to give it up too easily. And then he relents and realizes, you know, Bonnie, he doesn't want to disappoint Bonnie by taking Woody and running away and saying, no, this is my toy. This is my toy, especially after giving her all these other toys. But like, yeah, he relents and is like, you know, this one's very special, and he he gives uh, gives Woody away, and then it ends on the last note of like "so long, partner," and it felt like the perfect ending, the end cap of, of this whole thing, and it's personally my favorite of the three of the of the entire franchise, and now we have to talk about the one that nobody wanted, and yet is still absolutely fantastic and that is toy story 4 so yeah toy story 4 had a huge act to follow and 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 the and ultimately 
does tremendously. It's not as good as three because three felt like the end. Here, it felt like they are kind of dragging their heroes like, well, it's not, not quite the end. And if they try to pull another like, oh, it's not the end. If they try to pull this again, I think everyone's just going to be like done with it ultimately. Like, I don't know. I mean, we'll see how the box office numbers are doing. I'm sure they're doing fantastic because, I mean, general audiences probably don't care about that sort of thing. Like the fact that the sequels are continuing again and again. But we'll see. We'll see how it does compared to three. Um but yeah, the animation here is the best it's ever been from Pixar. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, it doesn't really get... And that's the thing. It doesn't get too caught up in the existential crisis. Forky is part, featured in the animation, but this is actually more so Woody's story. This is, this is Woody's story of him struggling to let go of Andy. He, think, he was top toy in Andy's room, and now uh, Bonnie Hunt's character, Dolly is the top toy in Bonnie's room. And the movie and the movie opens with Woody getting played with less and less. And great great cameos. I want to read out the names for the cameos of the Bonnie's to of Bonnie's toys that don't get played with. Let me pull up uh for Toy Story 4. Here we are. This one does have celebrities that you would recognize uh, as the minor characters. Uh, we've got... I'm going to read out these names here. Uh, Cheryl Burnett. We have Alan Oppenheimer as Old Timer, which is a clock. Mel Brooks as Melephant Brooks. Betty White as Bitey White, who I think is a toy with a lot of teeth or something. And a stuffed rhinoceros or a plastic rhinoceros. Played by Carl Reiner, named Carl Rhinoceros. Rhinoceros. Uh, that's beautiful. They had, it, was, it was like, oh, yes, I remember when Bonnie used to play with us, and now we're in the closet. Oh, you've got your first dust bunny. Uh, it's beautiful. Um, you've also got minor uh, roles played by Bill Hader, Patricia Arquette, Flea. Uh, isn't a isn't a minor role that you that you probably wouldn't even recognize him in. This is celebrities where you probably wouldn't even recognize most of them. And then, uh, yeah, it's it really is, uh, packed with great voices. And um, they did bring back Annie Potts uh, after from Toy Story from the first two Toy Stories to reprise the role of Bo Peep. So they didn't recast her, which is nice. Um. And I and I think my thing is um, that if it didn't have to follow the just impact of Toy Story three, this would probably be my favorite Toy Story, just because so much of it is just absolutely is great in my mind. You know, it has my favorite antagonist of the entire franchise, Gabby Gabby, played by uh, just uh, no uh, Christina Hendricks, and. Like, you think she's going to be this creepy, uh, obsessed... And she is kind of a, this obsessive, wants-to-be-played-with toy. And she's all about stealing Woody's voice box so she can be played with. And, and then when she find, And then you think, um, if something goes wrong... And then when, you know, if anything goes wrong, you think she's going to lash out like Lotso did or like Prospector did. And instead, uh, without giving too much away of what happens, but basically, um... 
Gabby goes inward. She blames herself. She doesn't deserve to be played with. She gets all depressed about it. She becomes... And that's the thing, is like... Even Bo Peep is like, oh god, Gabby's there. Ooh, we don't want anything to do with her. She's, she's terrible. And then Woody kind of sees through all of that and all of her sort of creepiness and obsessiveness. And she realizes, and he realizes that she's just like any other toy. And she just wants to be played with and loved. And yeah, I, I love her. I love her whole storyline. And she's so sweet and charming. And you be and you begin to and you're and you're anticipating her like becoming full villain, and she never really does, and it's it's it subverts that, and I like that about it. Um, the Key and Peel uh, stuffed animals are fun. Uh, they definitely feel like a carryover from you know every time Jordan Peel and uh, Keegan Michael Key are cast as something. You know, it feels like carryovers from their show. It's like, hey, you were on, remember you were on, you were on the show? Well, here, play these voices off each other. And it's like, like I feel like they're kind of at a point where they want to divert ways. Peel wants to do his own things, but and they don't want to be tied together um, by their show anymore. You know, since, since it's off the air now and they want to do their own things. Keen wants to do his own acting things and Peel wants to direct and write and stuff. Um, but it was still fun. They still play off each other great. Um... Forky is great, played by Tony Hale from Arrested Development. Uh, he he is hilarious to watch, and the way he Woody finally teaches him that Bonnie loves him is is just like it's just like insane, and it's beautiful. Um, and then the only like real criticism I have is that they had to completely retcon Bo Peep's personality because if you having watched those first two movies. She was just the demure, like, love interest for Woody that whole time, you know? And she's just, like, she doesn't really do much of anything. Whereas here, it's, like, now she's taking part in the rescue missions. And she's all action-oriented. And it's just, like, that's not Bo Peep. That's not the Bo Peep that you introduced to us. You've completely retconned her personality to essentially give her a personality. And I feel like... I feel like they didn't need to do that early on. I feel like they should have just kept her, like... I feel like having her become this more action-oriented, like, you know, hero personality after being given away would have been... I thought that was what they were going for, but no, they completely retconned it. So, like, back in the day, she had this personality. And it's like, you never showed that. You never showed her taking part in the adventures and the action. Uh, so, I'm not sure w why they had felt the need to do that. Because that felt very, un, you know, uh, unnecessary. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it ultimately, it's a minor, it's like a minor quibble. It's just like, oh, you retconned her to give her personality from the first couple of, you know, after following the first couple of movies. And then do explain how she finally got uh, given away. Uh, so, as to why she wasn't in three. So... I think focusing on Woody and Bo's relationship and they're now, you know, different ideals and what they want from life and and Woody wrestling with, you know, because there's, there's a whole tie into uh, whether he wants to stay with Bo Peep because he loves her or he, or he feels like he should stay with a child and be played with. And it's his, you know, wrestling with, and Tim wrestling with what he wants 
out of his out of his existence and he, and so here that that's kind of the focus of the movie is what does Woody want from his existence what does he want to do and I, it's really touching it's not as great as three three felt like a felt like the end of the movie and then this felt like a tacked on ending it felt like so uh paleo steno uh, over on youtube described it as dlc or most it saber spark it may have been saber spark talking about how this feels like a dlc storyline to continue on the story after the fact and uh, yeah it does feel like that but at the same point like this definitely is an amazing movie and it's probably the only real five-star movie I'm not going to put on my list proper just because I still feel like it wasn't as necessary. It wasn't all that necessary. It's just a fantastic movie that I highly recommend. This is my pick of the week for sure. But I still, I just still think it never really needed to happen. You know, it's a fully realized, well-executed sequel that you can't help but feel like it was entirely unnecessary and had no reason to exist, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I, I highly recommend you enjoy it. If you can get over that hump, if you can get get over the idea that this didn't need to happen after three, then you'll probably love the hell out of this movie. And I still love the hell out of this movie. It's just I can't reconcile the fact that I would have preferred it stay at three. Like, there wasn't anything in this movie that made me happy that they continued after three like every all the good stuff in this movie still feels wholly like you did like it didn't need to be told ultimately at least for me but uh we'll see how other audiences are taking it uh, i mean it's still getting rave reviews because this is still top tier pixar it's just you know minor these are all minor personal things you could be anywhere Welcome to Castle and Car. We have to stop him. Good night, Andy. Yeah, I was able to catch up with the Toy Story franchise because there's only three of them. <laughs> There was no way I was going to try and catch up on all of Child's Play. I wanted to try and watch the original and compare it, but I just ran out of time. And I just have to say that this, sadly, is a, it's kind of a disappointment. Um, it's not bad. It's better than any of the sequels uh, from those I've seen. I haven't seen two and three in a while. Maybe those are maybe those are as good. And that's the thing. That first Child's Play isn't like amazing filmmaking it's just a great slasher movie and this one sadly feels lackluster it definitely feels like when michael bay remade all of the produced all of those other slasher remakes back in the mid aughts and uh early 2010s it kind of felt like that a bit um and it had so much potential and i think that's the problem is that the internet of things edition the idea that um the Buddy Doll now has connection to all all these products made by this company, like Amazon, you know, basically, essentially like Amazon does or Google. And then the fact that he can control cars and toy, other toys, and you know, um, 
even the temperature of the even like thermostats and whatnot, anything that's connected to um, anything could anything that's made by the same company he has a connection to, and th- the whole thing is he's killing people using the Internet of Things is absolutely perfect. Like that's a perfect use for a slasher villain, just because it tackles the actual horrors of the fact that everything is connected. And it's like, hey, maybe it's a good idea. Maybe it's a bad idea that not everything is connected by the internet and by this by these same by this one same company. So yeah, it hint, but at the same time, like that's never the focus. It's just a feature. And I think the problem is this is all surface level stuff. As ne- nothing's really fully developed. I mean, Andy here, like they hint that oh, everyone thinks he's crazy. And he's unhinged and wild and he's violent and he's dangerous. And then they kind of just drop that. And then, like, uh, like they, it feels like they're hinting that, oh, he turned, maybe he's the one killing all these people. And it, they, they kind of just drop that whole thing. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Aubrey Plaza as a mom is working great for the most part. Uh, and Mark Hamill is the voice of Chucky. That's fantastic. Uh but I think the introduction of why he's malfunctioned is really interesting. But once again, it's all surface level stuff like, oh, it's a reference to things that happen in reality, but never really goes any deeper than that. It never really gets brought up again. Um, yeah, like, oh, or the, like, one of the deaths is this creepy uh, janitor at their apartment complex. And it never, re- he's just kind of, dealt with and then never really talked about again it's just uh it's just all surface level story stuff and that's kind of why it's lesser ultimately because we don't really care about we don't even really care about andy and his mom in this it's just all kind of you know by the numbers not really well detailed it's just like they're here to placate and be victimized by the chucky doll and that's the other thing too is that the original Buddy doll that Chucky was based on was a doll that you could see yourself playing with. It's a doll you could see yourself buying. The redesign looks really bad. It looks like that first Buddy doll was put in the microwave and started to melt. Or left out in the sun for too long. And its face all melted up. And then it had to be reformed and dried and hardened into another into the new face. And it looked absolutely just un like why would anybody buy this buy this face i don't know why they designed it like that but it it is an ugly doll and um yeah it's it's um yeah but at the same time like the chuck mark hamill still makes the chucky doll worth while and i kind of hope that he becomes the the star of the of whatever next one there is if they do end up doing a next one uh, just because I feel like if the, he's the main focus, then if like, like if you're not going to do anything with the human characters, make the focus be the slasher villain, make it be Chucky. And I mean, that's what they ended up doing with the franchise anyway, is they made Chucky the focus, focal point of everything. Um, but yeah, like everything about this feels 
feels like it has cool ideas, but they never really knew what to do with them, ultimately. And so they have these cool conceits, like the Internet of Things and, um, you know, tr you know, Andy being seen as the killer when it's really his doll. And it just all never really culminates into anything. It's just ultimately kind of a lackluster slasher remake. And I feel like that they've pushed farther they would have gotten something even better. I think. Let me see something. Let me pull up the two movies back to back. First, first, all right, let's take a look at the new one. It's rated. Okay, that one's rated R, but it felt like it was a PG. Like the only thing that felt like it was worthy of an R rating was the blood and the gore, which are solid. You know, we got solid gore in this movie, but. I feel like we didn't get a really great slasher movie out of it, ultimately. It felt like... It does feel like one of the, when Michael Bay's company, Platinum Dunes, made all of those uh, slasher remakes in the late aughts and early 2010s. Uh, so, yeah, it's... This is, uh, sadly... It's not my, um... You know, it's not my unpopped kernel of the week. Just because it... It, it, you know, I still got some enjoyment out of it, and it's not terrible. It's just I wanted more out of it, you know? I'm feeling aerial on this one. But who cares? No big deal. I want more out of this movie. Uh, so, yeah, that's what, all I got to say about the new Child's Play. You'll never make it out of here. Hi. What's your name? So, this is interesting in that I never really caught on that this is basically Luc Besson's take on Atomic Blonde until after I'd finished watching the movie. Like, I was uh, sitting out in the parking lot get uh, about to do my um, uh, Stardust for it, and I kind of came to the realization that uh, this is basically a atomic blonde now that they think about it this is hits all the same like beats as atomic blonde only it's basant's take which is sadly just more generic uh i haven't seen the professional lay on the professional um so i can't speak to how good that is i hear nothing but good things about it but all the Basson movies that I've seen, like he, they advertise like from the director of Lucy. I'm like, oh, good, so the director of that trash. One of my least favorite movies to have come out in the last decade. Yeah, sure, fantastic. Nah, 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 not him. Yeah, Basson is not has yet to showcase uh, himself as a good director to me of action. Uh, he's always there have been so many much better action directors since then. The Russo brothers, the guys behind John Wick series and their various and you know ex, you know incarnations and what they've done since John Wick. Like they've just been so many much better action directors besides Basson and Basson has yet to prove why we should keep him around. Uh, because all of his movies have just been completely generic. This is the closest to an unpopped kernel for this week. Just because I don't dislike it enough to not recommend it. But I also can't really recommend it. Um, it's really just ba it just too average to care about, ultimately. Um, I mean, the thing about it is, 
the cast is great. Um, you've got Luke Evans as a Russian KGB agent. You've got uh, Helen Mirren as the head of the KGB in this uh, in this uh, universe. You've got uh, Killian. I think Killian Murphy. It's yeah, Killian Murphy is the the as a CIA agent, and then uh, Sasha Luss, um, who this is my first time. Uh, this is my introduction to her. I have no idea if she's been in anything else before this, but uh, this is basically her... This reminds me of Haywire a bit, uh, the Gina Carano debut from uh, MMA, where she jumped, made the leap into film, I think, or I think the second... Her first, like, starring role in film after... Because um, I think she was in one of the um, Fast and Furious movies before that. But, yeah, Haywire... Was uh, was a chance for her to showcase that she's capable of holding her own in an action franchise, and sadly it didn't really go anywhere for her. And I think it's just a matter of she never really got the was given the chance to really showcase herself as an action action hero. But uh, Sasha Luss is very is very capable. I'm very interested to see what she does following this because she could go just about anywhere, and I would be. And if she's given a better script than this, he's definitely capable of holding her own whether it be drama or uh, action i'm very curious to see how she follows this up but ultimately yeah we're hitting all the same beats just this kick-ass female spies playing the russians and the americans against each other in this multi-level like double 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 crossing sort of stuff uh it's set place in supposedly the late 80s early 90s i think this is supposed to take place in 1992 or something and yet none of it feels like it takes place in the 90s i'm not expecting them to just play nothing but 90s music but it looks like it could have just as easily taken place today except there weren't any self except there weren't any like smartphones so i don't nothing about this feels like a period piece whereas atomic blonde was steeped heavily in in the 80s where you couldn't help but think it was an 80s you knew what time period this was in not to mention the fact that Basson decides to do this really stupid thing of cutting back and forth between like this month you know five years later three years earlier two months later six years six months earlier and it's like he keeps cutting around the timeline a bit and I have no idea what year it is halfway through the movie it is it doesn't make any damn sense and not to mention the fact that the whole reason, the whole recruitment thing for uh for Anna in the movie doesn't really make any sense. It's just like out of nowhere, like you're the best. Da, 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 da. Now you're in this slum with this, you know, asshole. You've got two choices: join the KGB or die. And it's like, why? What is, she is? We haven't really seen her prove herself. And it's it's like, why was she? Why was getting her as an agent so important? Like. I don't get her recruitment into the KGB, but, uh, yeah, it's really convoluted and, uh, it's a, it's a rat king of a plot and timeline. Like it doesn't make any damn sense. Not to mention the fact that sadly, if this were done by one of the guys from, uh, John Wick, like Atomic Blonde was, then Sasha Luss would have been able to showcase her action much better because they would have had stunt choreographers who know how to do good choreography and film it whereas Basson relies on I'm, i called it hibachi editing i've looked into trying to find a better term for it uh because technically hibachi is just it, it, our american hibachi is a very 
uh, is not an accurate term. Uh, the hibachi is the, actually the type of uh, grill grill that is used, and it's not the uh, grill that is used in in those restaurants. It is tech. It's it's uh, tenpiaku, I believe, is the actual term for it. Uh, and it's I think I should refer and I think that. I'm trying to. I couldn't find the t- the name for how fast they cut. Uh, those chefs do. So I think I'm just gonna call it Benihana editing now. Just instead of re- trying, to, instead of the confusion, and with hibachi meaning multiple things depending on where you are, uh, I think I'm just gonna call it Benihana because every because Benihana is the one who popularized that style of like show many uh, cuts and you know cutting. So I'm just gonna call it that Benihana editing. Where the action is cut, 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 and then you have n- it's it's fast paced, but it does and it and it looks flashy, but it does, but it ultimately leaves you confused on what the hell's going on. It's it feels like it's trying to hide something rather than do anything else. It doesn't feel like you're really showcasing uh, the fight scenes. It looks like you're trying to hide it, hide the fact that you had a bad choreographer. But, but that's all, that's all I get from these fast paced cuts anymore in, in action movies is that you didn't have you didn't pay for a good choreographer so now we're stuck watching this just hot mess of a of a wannabe music video style cutting and you know we can't even get a second of a fight scene happen on thing you just show impact 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 and then it was never any of the build-up and you know people who study action on film like will tell you that that just showing the impacts doesn't make for good at fight scenes. And for some reason, there are still action directors like Bassan who don't understand that. That it's just showing the impact of the, of the punches doesn't, isn't as satisfying as watching the buildup and then finishing with the impact. And these Benny and this Benihana style of editing doesn't really make it, it doesn't make it more, energetic it doesn't make it more you know kinetic it makes it much more it makes it look like you're cheating it looks like you're cheating us out of good action and i think that's ultimately what it comes down to so i think the thing with anna is it's not terrible but it's also not really worth mentioning it just suffers from Bassan's own inadequate writing and direction and if in the hands of a much better uh, writer and director would have been better, and it, it is, and it's called Atomic Blonde. So, yeah, uh, I would I would say go watch Atomic Blonde, and you'd get a much better movie out of out of this whole premise. Ultimately, so that's it for the reviews. We're going to take a quick break and come back with an impromptu discussion, and I'll explain why. You want to hear four badass women discuss and dissect modern and classic horror films? Join us at Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good ghoul's guide to horror. Oh! On the gun, we can't have it. Don't read the Latin. Do you know that in the world of the insane, you will find a kind of truth more terrifying?
decided to actually go back and listen to one of my old episodes, uh, namely because it I, the original premise uh, for the discussion was going to be uh, what is appropriate for children and de- dealing with like existential crises and really high-minded stuff. And then I re-listened to uh, What Makes Good Family Movies, and it basically hit all of my points. So if you want an idea of what my initial discussion would have ended up being like, uh, go listen to episode 133. That kind of covers essentially what I wanted to talk about. Um, So for this one, I'm just going... I last minute decided to do something else. And I've decided to kind of talk about the other issue with Toy Story 4 in that... People complaining, I don't think I've talked about this before, but people complaining about how there's nothing original anymore. It's all sequels. It's all based on a pre-existing property and there's no original ideas. And what they essentially mean is that there are no original intellectual properties. There's no original IPs out there. And there are, but nobody pays attention to them. And they don't get, like, that's the thing. Companies push recognizable brands. That's just the nature of the business. But at the same point, new brands aren't getting built up because people, audiences, aren't paying to go see them. Because cost the cost of seeing movies has, risen, has kind of risen steadily as the cost of everything has. And people can't afford to pay for something they can't guarantee is a good movie. So that's why they wait and wait and take their time to go see new stuff. And so you can't blame people for not wanting to... Uh, you know, risk seeing a movie that they that could be terrible because they have no idea what it is. There's no recognizable name attached to it, be it an actor or a director or a studio. There's nothing to say that this is a sign of quality. Now, thankfully, there are some newer, younger studios like Neon and uh, A24 that are starting to allow for storytellers to tell their own unique things. Blumhouse will continually allow for directors to do their own thing, but they'll still have franchises. New franchises are being built. They're just not always in America and they're not always success. And that's, and they're not always like big name things like you get from Disney and um, Warner brothers, where it's just like the, you recognize that name from another thing. They're not all, they're not always crossing over from genre to genre, from medium to medium. And I think my art, like, and that's, and if you look back at, all of Hollywood history, you'll notice that that hasn't really changed. It's always been recognizable names pushing the product. And whether that initially that used to be just actors pushing, you recognize this actor. And since Hollywood became much more corporate owned and corporatized and, uh, and has more access to these other properties, then it's become adapting from these other media into a film. And people have always adapted from books and plays and all sorts of things into film. So it's not like the complaint the complaints are a thing are for things that have always been inherent within Hollywood. And so the idea that Hollywood has no original ideas, I mean, that's always been the case. Hollywood has never had original ideas. They've always been trend writers because they're a business. They don't innovate they follow trends what's popular now let's let's run that into the ground until it stops making money so i guess my issue is not everything like with turns of toy story 4 i don't want to begrudge the 
people at Pixar for wanting to have an, if they had another story that they wanted to tell and getting it out there. But I can't help but feel like it was wholly unnecessary. And then that kind of tied that kind of tied into the idea that, well, how come there are any new original ideas? And Pixar's next bunch of films are all original. No, no they're all initial first run, no sequel, prequels, anything like that. Uh, Onward is coming out next year. It's a, a modern day fantasy movie with fantasy creatures in a modern day setting. And then I've got something called Soul coming out later next year. And all the movies on their docket upcoming are new movies without any ties to their previous works. And I think that's the whole thing is that pe people do kind of... They may, I'm guessing it's probably a diminishing returns where the prequels and the sequels never really made that much. Although, no. Incredibles 2 made, a, made some of the most money for the entire company. So it's not that. Uh... I'm guessing it's probably just the writers. They want they don't want to be forced into just pumping out sequels. They want to tell their own original ideas and get those out and see how they do because that's been their bread and butter for years. And it wasn't until the the 10s, the teens, that they started kind of pumping out sequels, starting with, even though Toy Story 3 is one of their best, it kind of led to, like, Monsters University and, um, you know, not to mention all the Cars sequels that they pumped out. And, uh, what was the other prequel? I swear they did another prequel. Um, I forget what it was, but yeah, there's just the idea that they could pump out all of these tie-in movies and then, and that they would just ride off the coattails of their existing properties. And I think it's good that they want to kind of steer away from that. Cause that's kind of what's ruining Disney right now. Disney's whole model is, um, pump out tie-ins to their old recognizable properties instead of innovating, creating new things because Bob Iger is a businessman. He cares more about what's making money, not what's not what makes good art, what makes good film. And that's why I think Bob, the Iger era of Disney will go down as the most profitable business-wise, but the most creatively bankrupt. I, I would not be surprised if, if we look back uh, once Iger is out of there and we look back at everything that was made under his watch at Disney and just see con just see nothing but the most cynical corporate corporate uh, crony like just not no no creativity, not a creative bone in his body, just milk everything as much as they can out of it. And once somebody with more creativity comes into play, I'm sure we'll get much more. And that's the other thing too, is that Disney animation has started to see resurgence with starting with Tangle. But even now they're suffering from relying on sequels again with Wreck-It Ralph 2 and Frozen 2. And, um, what was, I, 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 I and like, I can't even remember the previous, uh, I'm trying to remember all the Disney animation stuff. Uh, cause I feel like, there used to be like one a year at least, and now I think they I think they skipped twenty seventeen, but I'm not I don't remember. Um, but yeah, we had Zootopia and Moana, which were fantastic, and then I think they followed it up with a bunch of sequels, and then we haven't really gotten and and I, I don't know they canceled Gigantic, uh, so I mean it's it's hard it's not hard to see that you to kind of picture Bob Iger saying. 
forget these new ideas. We need guaranteed hits. Hey, those movies that were popular, we need to we need sequels to them. Pump those out. And that's a that's a bit that's a you know that's a business mind. That's not a creative mind. A good CEO of of a movie studio could be like you could mark could market any new idea. They know how to sell things based on their name and to basically run your brand's name into the ground by constantly remaking the old properties in live action instead of making new live action movies. Because that's the thing. Like, there's actually no reason for Disney to make live action movies, ultimately. I mean, nobody remembers Disney for their live action movies. They remember Disney for their animated movies. So I think if they closed down their live action studio thing and just let other studios make make that... Like if they want to make family family movies, they've got plenty of other outlets for that. But they don't need live action family movies. They can just focus on just being the like who rem- like seriously who thinks of Disney and thinks of the live action movies. They, they there's no real need for that, and to to spend so much money just regurgitating the old properties in live action to a, which is all to a much lesser degree it's all like the only two i think that were any good were um favreau's jungle book and the pete and the pete's dragon and that pete's dragon is actually is actually worth watching whereas that old pete's dragon is as such a dated you know relic of the 70s that the new one is a fun interesting family picture but for some but yeah like regurgitating like here's aladdin here's lion king here's little mermaid here's all the stuff you already watched the first time instead of just re-releasing it on the big screen again let's let's spend money to make a lesser version of it yeah i mean that's a that's complete business hacks mind not a creative uh and that's the thing is that i've said before you could take a live action remake of these things and make something its own that's what favreau did with the jungle book that's what they did with pete's dragon but and that's what they tried to do with maleficent but and uh alice in wonderland but ultimately by relying on the name of the brain of the, the name recognition and not going beyond that like they just basically covered aladdin but with lesser quality voice actors and actors they didn't really bring anything new and i feel like that's the issue is that Iger is pushing for the same thing again and again because he wants that same money and he knows that audiences will pay for it no matter what but just because they will doesn't mean you should your scientist, you know, your sci- your studio was so bit concerned with whether or not they could, they didn't think about whether or not they should. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the whole. That I I, I am basically the uh, the Ian Malcolm to Disney's uh, John Hammond. Like, you're so concerned about doing this thing and making money off of it that you're not even considering the repercussions of it. Thankfully, people aren't dying because of dinosaurs, but. I mean, you are you are just dragging your own studio through the mud and your own uh, company through the mud to just basically get any you know you're digging through filth and mud and muck to get to get any amount of money that you can find down there and it's just like we don't 
we don't need that. We're fine, you know? So I think what it comes down to is, I'm kind of rambling at this point. This basically turned into a rant, a rant against Iger and Disney. But I think what it comes down to is I don't have a, because I don't have a bias against something being a sequel. Something being a sequel is fine. You just have to do something with it. And if uh, I wish people uh, did more with their properties than they do, they seem to want, like with the child's, and this kind of ties into the child's play thing. They were cool ideas, but they didn't go far enough with them. They never really stepped outside of the original shadow in order to, because they wanted, they didn't want people to, they want they would cared more about people recognizing the name and staying within the brand name uh, parameters instead of doing its own thing and being a much more interesting thing. And I'm sure you could argue that well, you could do child's play and make it a whole thing, but yeah, would you watch that? Like, I as much as people say, well, why don't you change everything and just make it its own thing? You could. Would you have watched that? Would you have seen? Child's Play, the new Child's Play, if it was not named Child's Play and it was a rip, and it was just a complete ripoff of the Child's of the original Child's Play, only now it introduced the Internet of Things into it. It's a, its own toy doll. There's no Chucky doll. It's its own. It, it 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 could be the killer AI or something. Would you have watched that? There's no guarantee. Like that's that's the argument. That that's the problem with that argument is that. Why don't they make new IPs? Would you watch them? Would you pay money to watch this new thing if you couldn't guarantee the, some level of quality from it? And more often than not, people won't really say they'll say they want they'll say they want that, but then they their money goes to support the usual stuff. It's just so I think what it comes down to is people. On on mass, you know, there are definitely people who will voice like, "I want new ideas. I want new IPs. I want these new properties. I want new stories." There aren't new stories. They're all the same stories. Um, but they want new characters, new franchises, new things. They say that, and then, like, comics have dealt with this for years as well. Like, they'll try to introduce new characters, give them their own series, try to promote them as best they can, and nobody pays attention to them. Nobody cares because people have finite amounts of money to spend and they'll spend it on things they can guarantee they'll like rather than testing out the waters on things they might like. So not everybody's like me where they'll go to the movies every single weekend to see stuff. And I'm mainly doing this because one, I love movies and two, I wanted to talk about them. And that was the whole conceit for this whole podcast. But most people wait to see a movie after they've had some time to save up and they have the free time to go to the theater and pay for the, you know, like 50 bucks it costs if you go if you go um, with somebody now between ticket prices and concessions. Uh, yeah, and then the, you're taking two hours out of your day plus an extra half an hour maybe to uh, get there and leave home and come back. Uh so, I mean, I don't blame people for not going to the movies more often because we were not getting paid enough to go. People aren't getting paid enough to go to the movies and they don't have the free time to spend at the movies. So I don't blame them for that. And um, I guess my thing is, 
I understand why people do the things they do. And I just wish companies would spend more time promoting new things. But they've but people have shown that they genuinely don't care about new things because they can't guarantee that the new things will be any good. So no matter how much a company can promote it, that's that there's there's more possibility for that being a failure. Whereas if you promote something that's already popular, even if it gets run into the ground and people get sick of it, it hasn't stopped making money because people will still gravitate towards the thing they know rather than give a chance on the thing they don't. And until people go outside of their comfort zones and do try out these new things and get allow for those things to grow and become their own their their own franchises their own IPs then nothing new will get uh, everything new will probably just li- will just lie and and be forgotten because nobody remembers it and it's just as much the comp- the corporations promoting what make what makes the most money as it is the audiences for not being willing to skip out on the new Disney live action remake and instead go and see the latest movie from A24 or go and see uh, the latest thing from Amazon Studios where it's like you're not going to guarantee that it's a new thing. You know, they're not going to go see some new upstart studio or some new upstart um, like unknown filmmaker. They're going to rely on the things they know rather than try out anything new. And until people stop doing that and companies stop promoting that, then there's nothing going to change. Audiences are going to pay for the things they know because that's that's safe. Until audiences are willing to try out new things and companies are willing to promote new things simultaneously, companies... People with the power are the companies. They can do whatever they want, promote whatever they want. But until... But it takes the audiences to support those things in order for those things to thrive. That's why what's already existing is what's being, you know, is being what's held up. Whereas nothing new is allowed to grow because the old forest is kind of strangled and held on to the earth. And so nothing, the only new things that are growing are like little weeds and things in the undergrowth. There aren't any new trees there because it's overgrown. It's an interesting way of looking at it. Corporations have allowed for a fo- for their forest of IPs to become overgrown. And some of those trees are dead or dying or sickly. and But they take up so much space and earth and resources that the new things to grow are things that are under that. Little indie stuff, little smaller studios, small budget things. And no new IPs are allowed to get as big as the ones that are already there. It's this old growth forest that is that could do with some trimming and do with some cull- and culling and allow for new things to grow. But it's it, companies won't allow anybody to touch it, and it re- gets overgrown and debt and sickly because it because all the resources go to these big things that don't allow for any new things to grow. I don't know if that's how biology works. If you're if you know biology better than me, you can tell me about that. But I think that's enough rambling for this uh, discussion. Suffice to say that um, 
I don't begrudge studios for making sequels, and I don't begrudge audiences for paying for sequels, because they're both both issues are companies should be willing to expand more, and take more risks, and audiences should be as well. But until both of them start doing it, nobody is going to do that. So one of them has to do things. So it either has to be the audiences on mass to stop supporting the same old stuff. Or it has to be the studios on mass just deciding no more recycling old stuff. It's time for new and innovate. It's time to be newer and innovate. Until those things happen, nothing's going to change. So, yeah. That does it for the discussion portion. So now let's get into our usual stuff. Let's take a look back at the week that was in the box office report. And now the popcorn junkie checks in with this week's box office report. So I'm running into a bit of a problem in that I keep postponing my recording sessions. I try and do it all in one go when this is the only part that is really time sensitive. So... This is going to be the last time it's going to probably include Monday's numbers in the in the school in the um, gross. Uh, as for this past weekend, uh, Anna barely even ba- Anna couldn't eat its opening weekend. Godzilla on its fourth week, <laughs> and um, yeah, Godzilla dropped out of the top seven finally, as did Dark Phoenix and Shaft. They all just completely dropped. John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum rose from 8 to 7, surprisingly. They saw a slight... Probably because Godzilla lost more than than John Wick, which is probably the only reason why that happened. Uh, but John Wick has um, $156 million. Well, over the weekend, it grossed uh, $4 million. So now it's up to $156 million. And with the total... Uh, and combined with the foreign market, it is $289 million on what is presumably a 30 to $40 million budget. So, wild success. Definitely expect John Wick Chapter 4. Dropping from 4 to 6 is Rocket Man, which brought in $5.6 million this weekend, bringing its domestic gross up to $77.2 million, and its worldwide gross up to $153 million. So, yet another wildly successful um, crowd-pleaser of a musical biopic. So... Probably expect more of those in the coming years because if, the, if both Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocket Man have, were that successful, I'm sure there will be imitators. Uh, dropping from two to five is Secret Life of Pets two, which brought in 10.2 million dollars this weekend, and domestically has brought in 117.5 million dollars, and worldwide has brought in 194.7 million dollars. America is the one really fueling this, uh, so. There's probably going to be a Secret Life of Pets 3, but if nothing else, Illumination is just going to keep getting work just because they keep getting a return on their cheaper investments, even with this more expensive one with um, $80 million being one of their most expensive productions. Uh, dropping from one to four is Men in Black International, which brought in $10.7 million and domestically has brought in $52.6 million overall. And uh, combined with the foreign markets is... Currently sitting at $182 million, which managed to make back its budget, but mainly through the help of the foreign markets combined rather than America. America was not into this new Men in Black, but we'll see how they follow it up because it's definitely, you know, it's definitely, you know, after what, two weekends, it's, you know, it's working its way towards, I mean, it's not a runaway success, but it's successful enough to warrant a sequel, I'm guessing. Uh, staying 
steady at number three was Aladdin, which brought in $13.2 million, bringing its domestic gross up to $288.5 million, and its worldwide gross currently sitting at $813.2 million. Almost a billion dollars from the Aladdin remake. Wow. I mean, I'm a real. I kind of hope that the Lion King one is going to do it better, just because one, it's got the better director. Two, I, I get the feeling that Lion King is much more. I don't know. Maybe because Aladdin wasn't at. I don't know. I don't know why this one is doing so just humongously well, even better than Beauty and the Beast did. So, wait a minute. No, it's not. Uh. I mean, not domestically. Uh, let's check overall. Worldwide, um, Beauty and the Beast made a billion dollars. So it is still number four. So it's behind John Favreau's Jungle Book and Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland. Beauty and the Beast, Alice in Wonderland, and The Jungle Book are the highest grossing of the live-action remake so far. So Aladdin is right, you know, ranking right up there. It beat out Maleficent. So we'll see. We'll, yeah, we'll we'll see which others in the Disney canon they're going to dig up next. What are they going to do? A, a, like a realistic anthropomorphic Robin Hood? Oh God! Oh God! What? Come to think of it, you know I joke, but having a CG anthropomorphic, like, kind of like, like fox that can go into human poses but then acts like a fox that might be that might be something i could see that working in the right light if they got the people who animated the lion king and uh the jungle book to do it then you got a good director somebody maybe taika watiti who can include the comedy and make it funny while also including the you know basic message behind robin hood i joke but I, I, I see it working. There's the possibility it could work. I'm just saying. I mean, if they're going to dig there, why, why not mind the stuff that's not as well remembered? Maybe do another Sword in the Stone. Why has it got to be the popular stuff? The popular stuff had its chance. Let's give the underdogs a chance. Live action rescuers. That's all I'm saying. Uh, anyway, premiering at number two was Child's Play, which brought in $14 million this weekend. And and no real foreign market, and it brought and it cost ten million dollars to make, so it made back its budget at least. So it's got that going for it. But uh, we'll see how well it does in the long run. And then just blowing everyone out of the water, premiering with one hundred and twenty point nine million dollars was Toy Story Four, which combined with its with the foreign markets opening day weekend of release was two hundred and forty four point five million dollars. It's definitely Gonna rank up there with the other, uh, like, that's the thing. The top three highest grossing movies are owned by Disney. Endgame, Captain Marvel, and Aladdin. And I'm guessing they're now gonna add Toy Story 4 to that as well. Um, although I will say, that's overall domestic gross. Where's opening weekend? Here we go. Opening weekend. Toy Story 4 is the highest grossing opening weekend uh, as well as most theaters, uh, da, 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 da. and the wide, yeah, widest release, um, percentage of total, not sure what that's about, um, 
and yeah, and then it's they don't have the opening weekend release for the for the foreign markets. But yeah, uh, $120 million opening weekend has already made it almost as successful as uh, the first Toy Story was in its overall run. Uh, I have to adjust it for inflation, though. What is uh, Toy Story's adjusted for inflation gross? Um, here we go. Uh, series, Toy Story. Adjusted for inflation... Um, oh, wow. Adjusted for inflation? The first Toy Story made $395 million domestically. So, Toy Story 4 has got a ways to catch up, but it's already had a, it already has a great opening. So, I expect, so we'll see how long it hangs in there. But yeah, surprising no one, Toy Story 4 just ran the box office this weekend. $120 million. That's, you know, that's definitely like Aladdin and Avengers opening numbers right there so surprising no one toy story 4 wins the win, wins the box office this weekend and well uh but and then now that we're done looking at the week that was we take a look to the week ahead in trailer talk coming this summer it's trailer talk Rated R starts Friday. We've only got two new releases this coming weekend. June's going to end out on a softer note. Not many real tentpole releases. I kind of got taken care of during the middle of the week with Men in Black and Toy Story 4. Um, so next up, we've got a horror movie and a sort of fantasy comedy, musical comedy. First up, we've got the latest in the Conjuring franchise. Annabelle Comes Home. Goody, goody. Let's take a look. You folks need to turn around. Pretty bad accident up ahead. Anything we can do? You a doctor or something? Or something. Eh, <laughs> get it. Nice doll. Get it? Get it? Because he's not a nice doll. It's an evil doll. Did it work? The evil is contained. <laughs> Uh, we'll be back early tomorrow morning. Don't your parents keep any creepy stuff around? We keep it all locked away in a room. It's not good for anyone to go in there. Okay, seriously. Is this like a fangirl? Is she like a demon possessed who's there to release the evil or something? What's that? Like, I don't get why. They put coins from over the eyes of the dead. So you can take their souls. Ooh, we got the new spin-off character. Fun. Annabelle, she's in a case for a reason. Ooh, she moved. Oh no, it's the fairy man or whatever they're calling him now. Whatever the new spin-off character is. How much would that how much do you think that friend that girl hates her friend? Possess. 
them. Oh. Oh, come on. Now you're trying to tell me this is like the freaking Pokemon franchise? Gotta possess them all. Something is happening inside your house, and we're not really sure what to do. Can I speak to Annabelle? I'm sorry? You need to give her a soul, dear. She wants a soul. <laughs> Spooky scary. Uh, I'll see if my uh, nephew wants to be in on that uh, bad movie night. <laughs> or if he just wants to... just want, You know, he just wants to skip this one because... Uh, this is just continue, continual garbage. That's all this franchise has been to me. So, uh, I can't wait for it to be a wild success again and expect more spinoffs of the... Oh, well, I can't wait for the Japanese one because they handled the, you know, uh, Latin American folklore so well. Now they're going to do Japan. Fun. Anyway, next up, we've got the one that my nephew and I are the most looking forward to. Um, this summer, actually, we've got this Beatles inspired fantasy musical movie called Yesterday. Let's take a look at the trailer. This was my last week. If it has happened by now, it's like a miracle. Miracles happen. Hi, Lily Collins. Not Lily Collins, uh, Lily James. What happened? Electricity flicked off all over the world. <laughs> Yesterday, Jack had an ordinary life. All my troubles seem wow. so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe in yesterday. When did you write that? I didn't write it. Paul McCartney wrote it. The Beatles. Who? <laughs> but that was yesterday. John, Paul, George and Ringo, the Beatles. No. Stop it. Yesterday. It's one of the greatest songs ever written. Wow. It's not Coldplay. I love that that's their go-to for best music without the Beatles. I really don't know who the Beatles are. Genuinely. Then I'm in a really, really, really complicated situation. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me. Sorry, I'm just listening to Jack's new song. What's this one called? Uh, leave it be. Let it be. Well, rock on, Jack. <laughs> oh, yeah. From the Academy Award winning director, Slumdog Millionaire. <laughs> and the writer of Love Actually. Hi, I Kate McKinnon. Talk. See, we pay, and you write songs, and then you make a ton of money. And then we take most of it. The one, the only, Jack Malik. We would like you to write something right now. Something in the way she moves. No one's ever written this many great songs. How do you do it? Tracks me like no other lover. Sometimes it feels like someone else has written all the songs. This summer. I've been waiting half my life for you to wake up and love me. But I'm a school teacher and you are the world's greatest singer-songwriter. I'm not. Except for you are. And and there's the Beatles old Beatles movie reference. The greatest album of all time. I've got two men who claim that the songs are theirs. Ooh. Let's see how this plays out, shall we? Lily James. Introducing Himesh Patel. That's what you should know. Please make some noise for Mr. With Ed Sheeran. 
yesterday. Let me just give you this advice. Song title. Hey, dude. Hey, dude. Are you sure? Hey, dude. That's so much better. Yeah, I'm very interested to see how this plays out because what's crazy is I feel like this premise has existed for years, older than I am. Like, not just the Beatles, but this famous person never existed, and you're the only one who knows. So, for some reason, I feel like, I, I feel like I've seen this premise before, but I, I, don't, I don't remember anything. You know, I, I guess that's the Mandela effect, where I feel like it's, exi but once again, if you know this premise was before this movie, uh, you know, not just the Beatles having not existed, but any sort of famous entity never existed and except except the one protagonist who knows definitely let me know and point me to it because i'm very curious to see wh where i learned that premise from but yeah himesh patel looks fantastic and uh he, he has an amazing singing voice i'm very curious to see what what he does in the future after this and then lily james great choice kate mckinnon ed sheeran as much as you know he's kind of uh love him or hate him so the guy is the perfect choice for this movie as like the modern day pop star to work with this guy. Uh, very, very interested to see how he does a sort of playing a comedic version of himself, a sort of uh, hyperbolic, not a hyperbolic, but like a stylized version of himself, you know, for the movie. Uh, very curious to see how he do how that goes. Well, how they'll play it. But uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm very interested to see how this turns out. Uh, so that about does it for this week's episode, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, you can do so by favoriting us on your web browser and light and whitelisting us on your ad blocker. And while you're there, check out all of our other fine programming. By the time this has come out, you'll have... We'll have the brand new episode for June of Living in the Stacks, where we talk about Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Go check out all of Donna's stuff over in the Snarkcasts. Uh, once more with Feeling, uh, The Family Business, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, all of that. And if you yourself are a podcaster and would like to help this little fledgling network out and uh, help our family grow, send all your inquiries to gumbykitnetworks at gmail.com and we'll get back to you. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast on the go, you can find us on your ver on pretty much all your podcast providers, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. And if we're not available on your provider, then let us know and we'll try to get on there. And uh, while you're there, leave a five-star rating and review. Let people know that you like the show and that they should check it out as well. Uh, you can also find us on your various social media. Uh, support the show by sharing all of the new episodes. Uh, on, we're at Facebook.com slash Popcorn Junkie. Twitter at Corn Junkie Pod, pop, at Popcorn Junkie Podcast on Instagram. We're, um, and if you want to follow me as I give my individual reviews for movies that I see over the weekend and stuff that'll probably end up on the episode, follow me on Letterboxd at Corn Junkie Pod and on Stardust at Popcorn Junkie. And then uh, if you want to support the show financially, help this little show become bigger and better, uh, you can do so at patreon.com uh, slash popcorn junkie or donate to our Pinecast tip jar. Uh, both of those links will be in, in the description. 
And then if there's anything else you want to say, any kind of feedback you want to give, any kind of, if you want to share your thoughts on the movies that I commented on, if you want to give your thoughts on the discussion I talked about, as rambly as it was, if you got anything you want to say to me uh, and you want me to read it on the air, be sure to leave it in the subject line or the message uh, giving me explicit permission. Otherwise, I'll simply paraphrase, but send all of that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. That does it for this week's episode. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and I really hope we can get back to normal soon. Gonna try, gonna, just gonna try for it. We're gonna try for it. Get back to normal. That's the goal. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look at Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio. N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. Mm-hmm.